Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. To what shall I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played, you the, we played the pipes for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that, had, that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To those who cling to power through corruption and deceit and the silencing of dissent, know that you are on the wrong side of history, but that we will extend a hand if you are willing to unclench your fist. That was US President Barack Obama at his first inauguration, uh, speaking to the tyrants of the world, uh, saying that they were on the wrong side of history and uh, that the, the good of democracy and the American way is the right side of history. Uh, so when Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine, uh, Obama once again said that he was on the wrong side of history. It's a powerful phrase, that, to, the idea to be on the wrong side of history. It says that future generations uh, will look back and it will be obvious who was in the right and who was uh, in the wrong on that issue. And it raises the question, uh, what is the future? What will the future hold? What verdict will history make? And what evidence is there now for us to think that that's how it will turn out? Will Obama be on the right side of history? Or will it be Vladimir Putin? Uh, here in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus looks at that. He, he thinks about the arc of history uh, to help explain who he is and what it means to respond to him. So as we step through this chapter, we're going to look at uh, three things. We're going to see how Jesus is the goal of history. We're going to see how he's the turning point of history and how he is the stumbling block of history. There are uh, three points as we work our way through. Uh, we kick it off with John the Baptist. He's been thrown in prison by Herod and he hears reports uh, from prison about what Jesus is doing. And he's obviously got a lot of time to think and he starts to wonder if he's backed the wrong horse. And so he sends his disciples to ask the question, verse 3, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It seems like Jesus wasn't what John was expecting. Uh, this is verse 3. Uh, he's, he's thinking about, is there someone else? Uh, are are you the one who is coming, who I announced? Uh, probably he's wondering that because he's thinking about Jesus' friendship with sinners. When John arrived, his message was one of, of judgment, that God himself was coming and he was coming uh, to judge uh, people who uh, were sinners, people who were living uh, in a way that displeased God. And John was expecting uh, God to come with a fiery judgment and that's why he called on people to be baptised, to be washed clean. But here's Jesus welcoming sinners, forgiving them. He doesn't seem to be judging them. And so John's starting to wonder if he's got the wrong guy. But Jesus says, no, you're on the right track. All of history is pointing towards me. Jesus is the end goal of history. Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He's not just saying, look, I can do these amazing things. Uh, He's pointing to Old Testament promises which uh, point forward to him. When God's people were at their lowest point, uh, after the period of the kings, after God had sent them off into exile, uh, God sent prophets to point forward to a future where God would set all things right. And they said that it would look like this. Uh, So this is a section of Isaiah 35. It says that the wilderness will rejoice and blossom and your God will come to you. He will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. That's the words of Isaiah, centuries before. And Jesus is saying, look, that time has arrived. You can see it with your own eyes in the deeds of the Messiah, the things that I've been doing. All of history is pointing forward to me. I'm the end goal of history. Jesus isn't just saying that down the track, uh, people will agree with me and uh, their verdict will be that I'm in the right. No, he's saying that all of history, God's plan comes to this point to the miracles, to the healings that he's doing, they're a sign that he is God's king now arrived. But Jesus knows that the the crowds who are following him haven't recognised that yet. And so he turns to speak to them in verse 7. And he speaks to them about John. He says, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. He asks the crowds, what were you so excited about? Uh, Why did you go out to John? Uh, Was it because you thought that he would tell you what you wanted to hear? Uh, Like a reed swaying in the wind, going this way and that, like a flip-flopping politician? Uh, You didn't get that, did you? Uh, You didn't get some poser either in nice uh, fancy clothes, literally soft clothes. Uh, John wasn't some smooth-talking salesman. No, you went to see a prophet, a real one. And this was the most important prophet, not just one who was speaking God's words, but announcing God's arrival. Uh, John is the Elijah who was to come, verse 14, the prophet who would announce God's coming. So God himself has arrived. He's the end goal of history. And he's the turning point of history. You see that there in verse 13. Jesus says, All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Uh, What he's saying is that history looks like this. You've got all of the Old Testament prophets uh, from uh, Moses and Elijah, uh, right through to John. And John is the last of all. All of them point forward to God's arrival. But at John, they stop. He's the last one because he's right on the edge, right before the main event, God coming. Take a look at uh, verse 11. John here is, he is the greatest out of all of these prophets who've gone before. 
Uh, but look at verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Can you see that turning point? Even though John is the greatest of all who've gone before, he's less than the least of everyone who comes after, who belongs to God's people. Now, how does that work? Uh, It's not that John won't be counted as one of God's people. Uh, It's just that Jesus' coming changes everything. He starts a new era. Uh, The kingdom of God comes with Jesus' arrival. He brings the age of the Spirit. He brings all these blessings that John and everyone before didn't have. Jesus is the turning point of history where everything changes from old to new. Uh, Christians understood this in the Middle Ages when they decided how they would count time. Uh, In the Middle Ages, that's when they set up BC and AD. And so everything uh, before the birth of Jesus was before Christ and everything after that was Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now, in our modern Western world, uh, BC and AD is kind of going out of fashion and we've got BCE, common era time. I think that's okay. Christians don't need to get uh, worked up about that change. Uh, I think in lots of ways that should alert us to the fact that the world around us doesn't see Jesus like that. The world around us doesn't see Jesus as the turning point of all history. He's not the one who changes everything for them. But he is. And he points to his deeds as evidence that that's who he is. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Can you see that I am bringing this new age? And so he presents that challenge to people. Uh, Will you see my deeds and listen to me? Uh, Verse 14, he says, if you are willing to accept it. Verse 15, whoever has ears, let them hear. There's an opportunity to see the evidence of the Messiah and to respond to see history like that with Jesus as the turning point and the goal to which all of history is coming. Uh, On September 11, 2001, it was the evening, I was home by myself and I flicked on the TV expecting to find uh, a movie or something, but it was news on every channel, the same thing. Uh, Before I could work out exactly what was going on, The phone rang, and funnily enough, it was Chris Roberts, uh, who was on the phone. And I was glad that he'd called, uh, because I said, Chris, are you watching this? And it was the the first plane had flown into the World Trade Centre Towers, and for the next half hour or so, we sat on the phone just watching the TV, uh, seeing the terrorist attacks unfold. And it was good that Chris was on the phone because it helped me not to freak out too much. But even in that moment, uh, you could tell that there was a turning point. Something uh, significant had happened so that uh, things were different now. 
There was the world before September 11 and the world after. Things had changed. But even an event like that, even an event like September 11, that's uh, not the same as what's going on here in this passage. Because in the end, that will just be one of thousands of events in world history uh, that just are part of the flux of global conflicts going this way or that. But Jesus is the true turning point of history. Because when he comes, the world changes from one of death and mourning, disease, to the lame walking, the blind seeing, a new age begun. All of history turns on Jesus' arrival. But that's why he's also the stumbling block of history. Uh, In verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because that's the the reality and the reality that's played out in this chapter, that some fail to recognise Jesus for who he is as God's king. The generation that uh, Jesus is part of there in Israel, uh, they've had every opportunity to accept Jesus. They've had the scriptures, uh, passages like Isaiah 35 that pointed towards the coming of God's king. Uh, They'd heard John the Baptist telling them to get ready for God's arrival, but they'd refused to listen. Uh, In fact, there's, there's a kind of perversity about it. Uh, because they managed to reject John and Jesus for completely opposite reasons. That's the point of that illustration about the children sitting in the marketplace. Uh, Verse 17 says, uh, We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. See, they they couldn't be pleased either way. A happy song, and they wouldn't dance. A sad song, and uh, they wouldn't mourn. They didn't like John, uh, too much fasting, too severe. But they didn't like Jesus either, too much feasting, too friendly with sinners. Uh, It turns out it was nothing to do with what they ate or what they did. They just didn't want God's king at all. And so they put themselves on the wrong side of history by refusing to recognise Jesus as the one who all of history is heading towards, as the turning point of history, they put themselves on the wrong side of history. Read with me from verse 21. Jesus laments over them. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. See, it's an indictment on Israel absolute indictment they had all the privileges to witness the miracles of jesus but they still didn't repent and he says it's it's even worse because other places would have Uh, tyre and sidon were gentile cities uh, way up north Uh, they were pagan uh, had no uh, reference to god at all But they would have repented if they'd seen the same things. Even godless and immoral Sodom would have listened with that kind of evidence. It's like 
uh, news comes out about a new drug that can prevent cancer uh, down the track if you take it now. And here at UWA, uh, UWA students refuse to take it because they figure it can't work uh, because otherwise someone from UWA would have thought of it. Uh, but you go out to uh, Kalgoorlie, to the School of the Mines, and they're all on board. Uh, they take it straight away. This generation in Israel are putting themselves on the wrong side of history. And not only that, they're putting themselves on the wrong side of God's judgment. Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. He says that God will judge. God's judgment is based on what people do, but also on how they've treated him. And if his king has arrived, has shown himself to them, and they've rejected him, then God will judge them as they deserve. Jesus is the stumbling block of history. And the arrogant and the self-righteous stumble over his free forgiveness, his open welcome of sinners. And instead, God reveals himself, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. See, they're recognising Jesus isn't a matter of intelligence uh, or having the right religious background. Uh, Instead, God's plan is to reveal himself in Jesus to little children. That is, uh, unimpressive people, uh, those who are small. And actually, that's God's intention. He does that deliberately so that he creates a people who belong to him, who can't boast about themselves, about how great they are, but who owe everything to God. And so Jesus is a stumbling block to the wise, to the arrogant, to the people who think they can do it themselves. Because God's plan through all of history is to show grace to needy people, to rescue those who are lost and unimpressive before the world. Jesus is the goal of history. He's the turning point of history. And he's the stumbling block of history. Well, what does that mean for us? Uh, firstly, it's an offer. It's an offer to come to Jesus, to recognise him, to see him uh, revealed on the pages of Matthew's Gospel and to listen to his word And to see that he is that one that all of history is working towards. To follow him. Uh, For those of us who are Christians already, I think it means that we can have confidence in the future, but confidence without arrogance. See, when you know uh, what the future holds, if you have a certainty about the future, uh, you can have... A great confidence, no matter what happens, 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, then you have that security because you know what the end is. That all of history is working towards that great kingdom that Jesus has started. Jesus has shown where history is heading. And so we can have confidence now, even uh, in the, the troubles of this life, uh, even when it feels like things are going wrong. Jesus is the one. All of history is working towards his kingdom. And so we can have confidence. Uh, in verse 12, there's that strange uh, verse there uh, that says that the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. I think what it's saying is that, yes, the church will be persecuted. Uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, is subject to violence. Things go wrong, and yet Christians can still have confidence that the future is in God's hands and he will bring about his kingdom ultimately. But the problem with having confidence in the future is that it breeds arrogance in the present. Really, that's the problem with every one of those wrong side of history arguments. Uh, they can be incredibly arrogant uh, because the logic goes, I know where history is heading uh, and I have the right answer on this issue and everyone's going to end up agreeing with me anyway, so just get on board now. But it's arrogant to think that history will inevitably uh, work out in your favour. In the end, uh, we might be wrong. Maybe history will pr prove Vladimir Putin right. Maybe future generations will applaud him as uh, the bringer of uh, a lasting world peace because of his actions. Maybe not. But it, it, it's arrogant to say that history will turn out this way or that. But as followers of Jesus, we're able to have confidence without arrogance. Confidence the future will end with God's kingdom coming. Confidence in where history will end up, but without arrogance. Uh, without thinking that it's, we know it because we're so great. Uh, it's God's plan to reveal Jesus to the littlest people. So if that's you, if you're someone who has recognised Jesus for who he is, uh, then congratulations, you claim the title of littlest, least impressive. Uh, you can put that on your CV. Uh, but there's just no way you can look down on others who don't recognise Jesus, who don't see him as the turning point of history. All we can do is thank God for his kindness, that he has revealed Jesus to us. Uh, things that we couldn't have worked out for ourselves to be able to see the evidence of Jesus' miracles as they are. Things that point to that new kingdom that he's brought. Jesus, uh, God has done that for us. Revealed himself in Jesus. If you're not a Christian here tonight, uh, I hope that that's what you work out about us here at Uni Church, That we are a people with confidence without arrogance. That is, people full of confidence in Jesus. People who sing uh, boldly about the future. 
about what we know will happen, passionately confident about God's kingdom. But I hope as well you find people who are humble, grateful for what God has done for us, open and welcoming for others to join us as members of God's kingdom, as people who recognise Jesus as the turning point and the end goal of all history. Why don't I pray as we finish? Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us, that you are willing to reveal yourself to those who are small, little children, uh, unimpressive. Uh, Please keep us from arrogance. Uh, but give us that confidence of knowing where history is heading. And we pray that you would uh, bring about your kingdom soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.